This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Well, Pastor Bruss, I have put together a little montage of pastors and lady pastors who are, well, they're getting these feelings and these sensations while they're preaching that the Lord is leading them in a certain direction to say certain things to their congregations. Well, you know, God's Word says we're changed from glory to glory to glory. So (laughs) Um, let me say it is a great joy to be with you today. Uh, From the moment that I walked into this auditorium, I felt the presence of Jesus. And you know, there's nothing like it. You can do a lot of things. You can have a lot of success. You can just do amazing things, but there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. He'll take care of everything that you can't take care of. And um, the the words transformative power came into my spirit really strong as we were worshiping God this morning. And I just feel like that's for somebody in the house because God will do something, a really transformational work in your life. And there are times where we feel like that we're a caterpillar we're not sure where, when the butterfly effect will take place, and we feel like we're just mush in a cocoon. But I tell you today that God has amazing things for you. And if you'll find ways and opportunities to get into his presence in the moment, God will do amazing things. And you'll be so surprised at what God will do in your life and where he will take you to places that you never thought or even dreamed were possible because he cares so deeply about you. I feel the spirit of God saying some of y'all spend too much money on clothes and you are so behind on your school loans. And if you keep trying to impress people, you are going to impress people right into your own depression, trying to climb out of a pit of what people see. Y'all don't like the preacher today, but he's on point. He heard from God. Saul sets out with the permission from the letters from the chief priest, and on the road to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus, gets knocked off of his horse. Jesus speaks to him. I don't know. Maybe Jesus used his James Earl Jones voice. I don't know if he did it. I always think about God like, yo. You know, I don't, I don't know. I can't do it. But anyway, I just, I just figured Jesus, I promise the real guy will be back next week. But, but, but I, you know, I just, I feel like that, that he used his, you know, he has this encounter with Saul. What we do know is that Saul came away from the encounter blind. Saul's men pick him up. They lead him into the town of Damascus, and that's where we're going to pick up. Now, one thing I do want to tell you kind of as a precursor before we get into it, I'm going to read this story the way I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me. If you've ever heard me speak before, I love to put myself in the story. I don't like to just read it from start to finish. I like to say, what would it have been like if I was that guy? And I feel like that when I did that this time, the Holy Spirit showed me something I had never seen before, and it applies to today. There's no secret that there's a lot of stuff going on in our world today that it's, it's, it's not just black and white. Some of it is. Some of it isn't. Some of it is um, kind of hard conversations to have. And so I've been sort of in my prayer time as I, as I read things and see things, I've been going, all right, God, how do you want me to deal with this? How, how do you think about this? Because it doesn't matter my opinion on the news of the day. What matters is God's opinion. You know, I let, we let his truth and his word formulate our, our, our outlook on everything. And so as I was doing that, it, it, God led me to this, and this is definitely not me because I don't think about stuff like this, but I, so I really feel like God made a way got, through of all my distractions and all my shortcomings to give me this truth. And, and, and you pray for me, for me to get this right. Because if I get this right, it's going to go deep. 
The Lord told me to tell you to stop running. Man, do you hear me? He told me to tell you, you're running. What is it about previews? Why? What they do is they allow us to prepare our hearts for what's coming up. Well, here today, this is what God has told me this week. It'll seem like and feel like I'm losing. Now, the Lord told me it was really important to say this. Some of you have been convinced you're in a losing season right now because you feel very discombobulated on the inside. There's some people going through stuff in this room or watching online, and it's serious stuff. And you don't get the attention that this guy got. But you know what? You're feeling the same pressure. You're feeling the same pain. You feel discouragement. You feel doubt. Sometimes you feel fear. Sometimes you feel worry. And, and it, kind of, it kind of played right into the message that I feel like God wanted me to really focus on. I remember the day when God called me to do this. I was on a ski retreat with our youth group. Um, to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I haven't been in this hotel, where it was at, in probably 25 plus years. But I could take you to the spot on the floor in the ballroom. I left on that, going on that trip wanting to be a dentist. I always joke, I didn't realize I had to floss, which would have been a bad, probably disqualified me with that, but... I had worked in a dental office in Florida as an assistant and, uh, when I was too young to be doing it, but one of my mentors in my youth group was a dentist and just really poured into my life and he allowed me to, be, to, to work in his office and cleaning the utensils and, and uh, just doing various, various jobs. It was really cool and I wanted to be like Dr. Joe. I wanted to be a dentist because you know, they don't even work on Fridays and, and Saturdays or Sundays and um, they seemed to be doing really well. Smile's always nice, and uh, I thought this would be great, and uh, that's what I wanted to do. And I, I went to this ski retreat, and they had a band that played and led worship, and also a rock concert that was a band called Dave and the Giants from way back in the day. And I remember it was on the, like the last night, and they just, it's like the old school, old-fashioned, if you want more from God, just come to the front and get on your knees. We're going to pray. If you feel like there's more. I've grown up in a pastor's home. And this, this desire that I had to be a dentist wasn't an evil desire. It wasn't a wicked desire. It was a good desire. Based on the fact of a man who poured into me and was a reflection of Jesus to me. As a, as a teenage punk. I mean, like, he was a Sunday school teacher for me when I was like 11 and, and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 up until we moved to Wilmington and back when I knew everything. And um, at least I thought I did. 
and he poured into me, and I wanted to be that part of like him. But in that moment, I remember I was down. I was this side of the stage in the floor. I was on my knees. And God said, spoke to me. If I've ever heard God speak to me, it's my spirit. He said, stand up. <laughs> my, first part, my first thought was, they told us to be on our knees. And, um, and God was like, but I'm God. Um, okay, I think that trumps that. Uh, so I stood up and said, look around. There were hundreds of young people all across the front. And he said, this is what I want you to do. Now, I had grown up in a pastor's home, so I knew how difficult it was. I knew how amazing it is, but also how difficult it is. I knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. God said, I I want you to do this. And I was like, do what? I I want you to show young people how to follow Jesus. I want you to be a youth pastor. The Lord says, my children, didn't I tell you not to let your dreams die? And the Lord says, some of you are stuck because you have just said, well, that dream is gone. Didn't I say there was a convergence of dreams? Didn't I say that there were prayers that you had prayed that are all coming together? And I just want to say, I feel an admonition from the Lord that many heard it, but you didn't really believe it. And the Lord shows me that there are people, many people, in, in the body of Christ today that are heart sick and your heart is so full of unbelief. You've gotten to a place where the spirit of unbelief has overcome you. And so I just want to say in the name of Jesus, we bind and break the spirit of unbelief. And we, oh, I felt, I felt some things break right there. All right, so we'll stop the craziness there. This is just a smattering of sermons that I heard this week. And there's, I think there's one guy that I have twice. But for the most part, this is nine different people, some of them extremely well-known, others of them less well-known. And this is the way that they talk in their sermons. They, they drop these lines like, The Lord told me to tell you this. The people don't seem to be bothered by this at all. No, they seem to grab onto it, don't they? Oh, yeah, they love it yeah. and expect it. Even though if you polled the people and said, has the Lord ever spoke to you like this? They would say no. But then there's another group of people who say, yes, all the time. Of course he has, right. And, of course, what's interesting about this is that as you listen to these, these are things, um, these things that the Lord has told them are pretty straightforward and obvious, right, just by human observation. Um, of course, they're going to be unbelievers listening to you or people whose faith is weak. And, of course, uh, if you're looking at people who are dressed to the nines, uh, they're spending a lot of money on their wardrobe. What's interesting to me is that it needs to be invested with a direct download, uh, the authority of a direct download, and not a criticism of Scripture. How could anybody ever criticize this sermon that a guy is giving when he says, I feel like the Lord told me to share this? Right. It, it, it completely doesn't end run, doesn't it, around the ability to, to do like what the Bereans did. Right, right, study the scriptures and to see if what Paul was actually saying conformed to the scriptures. I mean, there, there is no Berean principle here at all. 
No. Is it wrong to say you're spending too much money on frivolous things? No, no, no not at no, all. No, no, no. But but the, to to verify that it's a direct download, this is the issue. Right, because the preacher has heard from the Lord today. Right. Uh, what is the appeal here? Uh, why would you prefer, as one of these preachers, to point to a direct download rather than to the objective Word of God? Oh, come on. Because the Word of God is so mundane. Everybody knows what the Word of God says. And so we've got to go looking for something extra. We've got to look for something else. Like T.D. Jake saying, uh, if I get this right, it's going to go deep. Stop running. The people are falling out of their pews at the mention that the pastor says, the Lord told me to tell you, stop running. Would the people fall out of the pews by just a simple reading of the scriptures? They should. They should, but they don't. And you could go to Joel Osteen's church where it's interesting how they have a creed. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. But then what's very interesting is right after they Bible, it's like they just kind of push it aside. So is there, I've wondered if there's something about wanting to grasp or grab for prophetic authority uh, in doing this. I mean, there are people in the Old Testament scriptures obviously, who do get direct downloads from the Lord. Right. And this is what's so interesting. In the American evangelical mind, if said prophet, like you're referring to, had an experience, what's to stop me from having an experience? All I've got to do is obey more, be more devoted, surrender more, you know, whatever thing you got to do. You're looking at the pastor who seems to be pulling that off because God's directly speaking to him. So it's a, a discontent or a, a lack of contentment with the written word of God that Correct. drives this whole thing. Interestingly, on a couple of these occasions, we've already observed that they could have simply appealed to the scriptures to make the point that they're making, but don't. Uh, in, in this last one, this, this business about running, right? I, I can feel like some of you are running. Well, again, this is just plain observation. We all know that if you talk to 100 people, uh, there are going to be a handful of them who are running from their problems. Or what about the woman, though, who says that she's breaking the, the, uh, the spell or whatever, this curse of delay or whatever this is, and then all of a sudden she can feel in her spirit that this being broken in people. I mean, this right. is a form of this is a form of total deception, psychological manipulation. Uh, it's because oh, you fingered something that I'm feeling, uh, and therefore I think we must have some sort of connection. That's all that's going on there, right? It's nothing spiritual. It's nothing of God whatsoever. When you when you come unmoored like this from the written word of God, anything is on the table, isn't it? Definitely. You can say whatever you want to say, attribute it uh, to being a direct download, and uh, it is the start of of a cult or of a, 
Uh, and I'm not saying any of these guys are are running cults. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But it is a cult of personality. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's maybe not Jim Jones. It's not that far gone. But the step from where they're at to Jim Jones is not a very large one. The Lord all told me, or the Lord told me, that we we're supposed to get plane tickets and go to Venezuela, which actually is not a really good place to be. No, right now, not, not right but, now, <laughs> not right. But now. wherever in the world the cult leader says we need to go, this is where we take off and go. And so the people are, uh, the pastors actually have done the people a disservice. They, they've made them utterly reliant on the pastor, have they not? And not on God's word. And whatever the pastor says goes. One of the things that I've heard in the past, especially as a Lutheran and then talking to an American evangelical who, who would uh, resonate with everything that we're saying and actually practice it and believe it and think nothing uh, bad of it. What, of the direct downloads? Correct. Okay. Looking for truth subjectively. They're going to say, oh, you Lutherans, you, you've put God in a box, right? This is a real simple little barb. And my argument is, no, God puts himself in a box, which is not uncommon in the Old Testament where he actually did put himself <laughs> right, in, in a right, box. Right, right, right. But the idea is, is that God says, look, you can find me, but you have to look for me where I promise to be, not where you think I should be. Look, Luther was the one who said that there's, uh, you know, there's fanaticism in all of us. Like we cling to this stuff. This is our tendency. It's our, it's our old man. It's a, it's the way that we want to go. But this must be identified for what it is. The theologian calls a thing for what it actually right, is, right. and avoided by our people. And by the pastors themselves. I suppose they don't even realize they're doing it. Right. And see, that's what I, I find interesting about if you were to look and study into the Jim Jones thing or any of the, um, the, the full-blown cults. I mean, most people are, are in a way fascinated but mortified by this. But when you say it's not a far leap to get there, why is it that we're horrified by this perspective over here over a full-blown cult leader, but a cult of personality where the pastor gets direct downloads? That doesn't seem to bother anybody. I don't know. I mean, can't I, you I mean, see I think, where I this think is the, going? I think the only, yeah, exactly. The, only, the, the thing that horrifies people about Jim Jones, finally, is the suicide. Uh, it, it's, it's not really the... Um, the control, right. the manipulation... Yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? There is control and manipulation involved in all of this stuff that we're hearing. And it's not a godly control. It's the control that the pastor himself is exerting. Uh, not, not necessarily um, the pastor should control the people in this sense that he should bring God's word to bear on their lives. That's the control. It's God's word, uh, not his direct download. But this leaves it open to, for him to assert whatever he would like to have asserted uh, among these people. Okay, then. So, what does if this if we have if we have identified what has no place in the church, then how should the pastor, or rather, how should the people who are listening to this podcast, who are the receivers in their church? I mean, they're 
They are, they are a part of a congregation. They're, they're listening to sermons. They're listening to pastors, maybe even reading books. I mean, this doesn't stop just in the pulpit, right? It continues in, in, the, uh, in the printed literature that American evangelicals read. So what should we be looking for as uh, members of a congregation when the pastor begins to preach? Well, number one, we should not be looking for him to say, the Lord told me this week. Okay, so, okay, if, he, so if he says that, this is like... Get out of there. Get out? I would say leave immediately. You, oh, come on, you wouldn't give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt? No, not at all. What if the Lord did speak to him directly in a download and, you know, subjectively through his feelings and through his emotions? What if? I would say this, that, that the pastor has no charge. He's not given any charge in the scriptures to receive direct downloads. What he's given a charge to do is to read the scriptures and apply them to the life of the people. And so to me, it's an abdication of the pastoral office. Our job is to take what is written and bring it to bear on the people sitting in front of us, not whatever we have been revealed over the course of the week. And look, you know, you and I are both, we've been doing, we've been in this gig for a while. I make no pretense to my own holiness, but I have the, you know, average holiness of any pastor, and you do too. I don't get direct downloads. I get insights over the course of the week, but to attribute those to to God and uh, to simply roll them out as if they are direct downloads is is a, a stupid thing. I mean, you I don't know. You get this, right? You get this from the study of the scriptures. You don't. Your insights come from the study of the scriptures. They do not come from God whispering in your ear. Mm. One of the things that's been rattling around in my mind that I I actually shared with all of our shut-ins this week, and it's this verse that the Lutherans use in their liturgy for a funeral, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, we use that in a funeral at the, the giving and taking of life. But... You know, as you go in and you see these shut-ins, and uh, they're a little bit worse off they seem to be than the last month that you saw them, and to remind them that God gave them faith in their baptism, and he will never take that away. The only person that wants to take that away is the devil. But God doesn't stop at faith. He gives friends and parents and grandparents. I mean, he, he's a, he is a good God. And good. health. and You're right. Mm-hmm. But then he starts taking it away. It's not universal. It's not one size fits all. But for the most part, especially for the people who are older, he just starts cutting, cutting things away. Mom and dad die. Uh, you know, the spouse dies. Friends die. Maybe a child dies. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then, as you know, with our homebound, he takes away their mobility. Uh, hearing goes away. It's like a cut. It's a it's a cutting away, to where all you really have left is faith, and that's all you need to get into heaven is Christ. Yes, and so or Christ is all in all, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wasn't saying this to the shut-ins as much as I was saying it to myself. This is the way. It's the way Christ worked on the cross. His disciples cut away from him. His mother, he looks at John, behold your mother, behold your son. Like everything gets cut away where all he has left is just him and God. Now, 
thought that I was trying to convey to them is this is such a this is a picture of our life. This is a picture of the way that the Lord, I wouldn't say deals with us always, but typically deals with us. And then, just like with Job, when he raises us, he gives us back far more than we ever had before. The people seem to have some comfort in this as I told them these things. But I didn't look at them and say, the Lord told me to tell you this. It was just some, an insight from our... From reading. Well, our, from re, our uh, suffering mm-hmm. uh, series during, sure. during Lent. But here's the point. This stuff is revealed. It's in God's Word. And it was gained by study of God's Word and meditation upon God's Word. That's the point. You know, Saint, uh, we were just talking about the charge given to a pastor. And I'm going to read... Uh, to this, uh, read this from Second uh, Timothy chapter three. We've we've actually had plenty of occasion to refer to this, but this is Saint Paul talking to the pastor Timothy, and he says to him, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the what sacred writings." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and talks about the scriptures, and I'll just speak the rest of it here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now just take a look at the, at the power that is invested here in the sacred writings in, in uh, first, or Second Timothy chapter 3. They are able to make one wise for salvation. What else do I need? What else do I need? If they're able to give me the greatest thing ever, do I need something else? Do I need another revelation? No, I don't. And if they are um, so clear and so straightforward uh, and straight from the mouth of God, uh, I can teach from them, they're profitable for teaching. Why would I teach from anything else? They're profitable for reproof and correction. Why would I use anything else to reprove the people and their and their habits? And they are profitable for training in righteousness. In other words, if I want to be righteous, I don't need a direct download from God. All I need to do is go look in the scriptures, uh, and there the godly life is described. So, this is really despising uh, the gift of God, uh, of the scriptures. It's, it's saying, you know, it's good enough, uh, but uh, there's got to be something more. And we've talked about this before, but uh, most people, when they hear the word despise, they think uh, like a hatred or it's an emotional thing. And where you would say is, no, this is not an emotional thing at all. It is this choosing something else. It's this, uh, how do you say it? It's, it's not visceral is what you're saying, right? There's no visceral hatred of God's word. It's right, just because no pref- Christian would say, preferring, I hate God's word. Right, it's yeah. preferring something else. You know, we, uh, in this class I'm doing in Sound Words Academy, we're looking at the various statements on Scripture uh, by the various church bodies. And some of these are just sort of brazenly, they're brazenly despising God's word. So, for example, the Episcopal Church USA, uh, and, and I am betting that everybody who is listening to these sermons would 
hear what Episcopal Church USA says and say, and say we reject that totally. They say that their theology is based upon the scriptures understood by tradition and reason. Understood by tradition and reason. So what are they placing, what are they elevating over the scriptures? Tradition and reason. These become ciphers or lenses through which you understand the scriptures. Um, in other words, there's something in addition to the scriptures that is necessary for what? Faith and life. Do these folks not see that in expecting the direct download from their pastor, they are saying that something in addition to what God has written is necessary for faith and life? It's exactly the same thing. It's just that the one in Episcopal Church USA is modernistic and unbelieving, uh, notably unbelieving. Uh, and this one is, well, it's the same thing. If you pit tradition against reason, at the end of the day, which one really is going to win out? Reason, because it's my reason right now. This right. is how I think. Right. If yeah. tradition argues... Uh, in a certain way, and you're the arbiter of truth, your reason is going to win out. So it's I'm gonna, like tradition uh, is added just for, uh, I don't know, to quell consciences? Because yeah, if you even... were just to say, uh, it's just reason alone, then, I mean, what is that? Right. And actually, uh, Lutherans would say, no, we've got one stool that's perfectly stable. It's God's word in the scriptures. So the Roman the scriptures, God's word, the scriptures is not in the scriptures. It is the scriptures. So the Roman Catholics, though, they would they would say something very similar, would they not? You know, they would go. This is interesting. So what we're hearing here is more Roman Catholic than Episcopalian. So Episcopalians um, allow the I guess in a sense what they're doing is they're saying you Okay, we've got the scriptures, but they've got to be understood through the use of tradition and reason, okay? The Roman Catholic statement is this, that the scriptures alone are not sufficient. That is not God's revealed word. God's revealed word is the entire tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. And so, whereas the Episcopalians sort of temper their interest in the scriptures by reason and reason and tradition what the roman catholics do is they set up an additional source of god's word that being holy tradition this is exactly what this is is this not in a sense claiming that my insight of the past week is now uh, on par on yeah uh, totally on par and therefore part of holy tradition. Right. I mean, we should be writing, if this truly is a download from God, why are we not writing what all these yahoos said in in the back of our Bible? I right. mean, this is, this is inspired word of God here. That's the claim. We should be right. These people should be feverishly writing these statements in their Bible. And what would they call it? What? Second hesitation? <laughs> that's what they... That's right. You're right. It, because because it is being invested with that level of authority. It should be taken as authoritative word of God. And they're not. They're not. And so 
So, so what they ought to be able to see is the inconsistency, the illogic of their own position, realize where it ultimately winds them up uh, in, in a church body like uh, the Roman Catholic Church that goes so far as to deny fundamental teachings of Scripture simply because the tradition developed this whole penitential system where you, you have merits and demerits, and that's how you get into heaven. Totally. I was re- I heard a guy this morning, he was talking about how there was a time if you were to kiss the Pope's hand, you got a certain number of indulgences. If it was a cardinal, it was a little bit less. And if it was a priest, it was like you know, just 50. I think yeah. it was 300, <laughs> 150. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was done away with. But the idea of doing something for indulgences has not been done away with. Not at all. That particular form of indulgence is gone. So your argument is there are so many times where the American evangelical who thinks that they, and I'm talking about like a a congregation or a body of believers here, they think they're forging a new way of godliness and holiness and piety. And your argument is— And a biblical way, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your argument is they're more akin to the Roman Catholic Church than they even know. Right. The outward trappings are different, but the uh, inward—the sort of heart and core of their theology is is just the same. If if they are wired like the congregations are that we just listened to— to receive direct downloads through their pastors. So let me play a guy for just a moment here who's going to make his argument why this is this subjective truth-finding is so important. Today's one verse is one. I, I mean, it's like a rock star verse. Like, you want to hold on to this one. Please watch this one verse all the way through. It is so amazing. Jeremiah. 33.3. One, it's just cool because it's from the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I definitely, I, I just love it. Uh, but this verse is amazing. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Go check it out for yourself. Memorize it. Write it down. Put it in Evernote. Put it on Twitter. I don't care what you do with it. Just make sure that you pay attention to it. This is what it is. Call to me. This is God talking. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I just think that that is such an amazing picture. God himself saying, call to me and I will answer you. Just the thought of the God of the universe, the God that spoke existence into being, The God that said, let there be light, and it exploded from his lips. The same God that walked on water, the same God that can raise the dead and rose from the dead himself. He tells us, he says, come and call on me, and I'm going to answer you. And not only is he going to answer us, but I'm going to tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. Like, there is this world that I know nothing about, that you know nothing about, but an all-knowing, almighty, all-merciful, all-loving God is willing to open up 
and share with us. They say knowledge is power. Well, it is here because the all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God has all the knowledge and he's willing to share it with you. I don't know about you, but that is an amazing revelation and it makes me want to just go and get on my knees in prayer and call on his name and just have a conversation with him and talk to him and see what he wants to share with me. I encourage you to do the same. So this is the argument. I mean, they're using the objective word of God. This is so interesting. They're using the objective word of God, this Jeremiah 33, 3 passage. They're using the objective word of God to encourage the subjective. That's interesting. And I'm not sure how they're hearing this. And actually, here King James, it would be really nice if, if people were, if he had been reading this from a King James Bible, because these imperatives, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known, those are all singulars. Uh, this is the Lord speaking directly to Jeremiah the prophet. And think about this. He's got a direct word from the Lord as to what to do. Without hesitation, the Lord goes on and tells him exactly what uh, he's going to reveal to him. He reveals to him the turn, uh, how he is going to bring about a turn in the fortunes of Judah. To take a description of what happens to a prophet and turn it into a prescription for all Christians is strange. So, I mean, this would suggest that all Christians ought to ought to set out from Jerusalem with letters from the high priests <laughs> on a road to Damascus to persecute other Christians so that they can get confronted by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So is this uh, an example of reading somebody else's mail here? Oh, that's a good that's a good way to put it, isn't it? Well, it's the same way with the Jeremiah 29:11. Perfect. Right, that is plastered on all American evangelicals. Hey, hey, listen, I won't even stop there. I mean, it's like ubiquitous. Uh, you know, refrigerator magnets, it's in uh, thank you cards. Uh, you know, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. You know, it's all about prospering you and giving you success. Again, that's, that's it's reading somebody else's mail. Right, it's directly applicable to what the Lord is going to do for Judah in restoring its fortunes and bringing them back from their captivity. And we're not suggesting that there's not these acorns of spiritual truths in these in these verses. I mean, there's truth there. You mean more, more general truth? Right. Right. What is that Chronicles passage that talks about, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and I will restore their land or something like this. It goes on a little bit more. This is like typical verse that's used for, uh, you know, a call that's made by some preacher or something to see the culture turned, right? Right. And, it, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's good. I mean, it's a call to repentance and a call to fidelity and a call to, what would you say? Did I say humility? No, but that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. So nobody's arguing with that. But if we wanted to get specific, we're really reading somebody else's mail rather than going in with a pry bar and prying this verse out and then slapping it on America. 
to be what God is saying today to us. Right. You know, I heard a sermon this past week where it's talking about Pentecost and the disciples in the upper room being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, if you just read the text just a little bit further, oh, and it says that they're speaking in tongues. And this guy is of a Pentecostal bent, so of course this is this is their mantra. And if you just read the passage a little bit more, it tells you exactly what those tongues were. I mean, it lists the languages. Known tongues. And interestingly, it gives 18 tongues, 18 or 19 tongues, and there are only 12 speakers. So the miracle here is the hearing and not the not the speech, which is goes along with what Paul says about the intelligibility of tongues. If it can't be understood, shut up. It's it's not it's it's not edifying. But this is our sin in that we long for the fanaticism. We long, you know, somebody would hear this guy that we just got through listening to and be just as encouraged to drop everything and go, isn't that interesting? Go have a conversation with God where like the guy that we heard uh, who was called into the youth ministry, uh, I want you to stand up. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I want you to uh, look around. What? I mean, he's having this conversation with God Almighty who's telling him to not be a dentist but to be a youth pastor. That's the conversation that people long for. Yes. yes. And, again, it's simply a despising of the written Word. If you want to know what God has said to you, it's contained in the 66 books that are in your Bible. And if you want to hear God speak to you, go to church where they read the Word. Right, right? and then proclaim it and apply it. So, unfortunately for the American evangelical in particular, he doesn't stop at the despising of God's Word. Bread and wine, that that's despised. Baptism is clearly despised the proclamation of absolution made by a human being i.e pastor that's despised yeah what 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 is that are they just too i don't know i mean i i just don't i don't i don't i do not understand i can hear the exegetical arguments and other things like that and and i appreciate people trying to support their position uh, on the basis of God's word. What I don't get, though, is the, um, pre, the, the beginning presupposition that these things are just not, sort of nothing, which seems to underlie that. Well, what underlies it is they love the subjective. The subjective is, it is their relationship with Jesus. Okay, so where does that come from? I mean, historically uh, or... I, I suppose this 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 comes in the second Great Awakening, first Great Awakening. I'm totally, not, yeah. It's like toenail fungus. I mean, we cannot shake this. It no. it won't go away. Correct. And you've had generations of Christians who've been inculcated into this subjective walk with Jesus, and this is you know my personal Lord and Savior. I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. I mean, there's all this cliche theology that is undergirding their entire Christian faith. Ultimately, I think, and we're seeing this in the culture, uh, this leads to unbelief, doesn't it? 
you have these these great flourishings of this subjective theology. Uh, suddenly, truth is whatever feeling you have, and therefore, um, if I feel as though it's really unfair to say that gay people can't be married, well, that must be that must be right, and so. Even the culture itself becomes unmoored. It's sort of like a doorway into into where we're at today. Oh, no doubt. I mean, this is why you have the rise of this this segment of the population called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. There's no doubt in my mind that these are American evangelicals who, they were burned out. Either American evangelicals, or they could have been American Catholics or American Lutherans who listened to way too much K-Love or just just sort of this sort of seeped into their skin from the culture. You can't escape it. It's inescapable in the culture, isn't it? Uh, totally. And what's so amazing is, is that if you had to go to the doctor and he's going to open you up, I mean, what if he told you, he says, look, I know, I know we've got to replace a valve up here around your heart, but I'm feeling like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make the incision <laughs> in your toe <laughs> on the back of your neck. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I just got a feeling this morning that this is where I should be looking to replace this valve. If you had a toilet that will not flush and you call the plumber and he says, you know what? The Lord told me to not mess with the toilet where you think is the problem. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess around out here. Check your water main. Right? <laughs> like we would think, what what is going on? Right. But when it comes to what's being proclaimed, it is this love affair with the subjective. And here's here's my argument about where this came from. I would argue. And I'm probably I'm probably not on home plate here, but I think I'm out in left field. So I'm in the ballpark. A lot of it has to do with the American youth group. Youth groups are a a modern phenomenon. And what you had was people swayed by the second great awakening who are taking this this subjectivism. It's been several generations past, and now you have these youth groups. There was started with a Youth for Christ and a couple other groups. So what happened is that then got foisted upon these teenagers in this cliche theology. And sadly, most Christians, like they've never they've never advanced from that. There was no formal catechesis. There was no necessarily memory of, of Scripture. There was no, there really was no educational process other than Sunday schools and uh, youth groups. And it then was when developing the, the relationship with Jesus, right? right yeah. And then when the church growth movement came about, uh, this was, you know, was the whole idea about telling people about Jesus, and having a relationship with Jesus, and inviting Him into your heart, and making him Lord of your life. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the list, list, the, the, the cliches go on and on. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the, <clears throat> that youth group movement penetrated not just the evangelical church. I think what happened was mainline churches even saw 
all these kids flocking to these evangelical youth groups and said, man, we ought to try that too. And so even in Missouri Synod churches, not ours, thanks be to God, you have the kind of runaway uh, relationship with Jesus kind of stuff. And, and of course, look, this gets perpetrated too by the Barna group. I mean, the Barna group never says, look, the way to keep people in church is by teaching them the word of God. They have all of these techniques. Is there an adult mentor who takes genuine interest in a particular youth? Well, then you're then you got one for the Lord. Is there um, a youth group that meets more than you know once a month? Well, then you're gonna you get you raise your chances. But really, all that is 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 institutional perpetuation and not real faith in the heart because faith clings to must cling to something outside of itself. All right, speak about that a little bit more. You've been hinting around with it, with the Word of God. This is something outside of you, just like baptism is outside of you, just like the Lord's Supper is outside of you. So is God's Word. It comes from the outside. Why is it so important for the Christian to recognize that what comes from within is so horrible? As Jesus himself says. Correct. And what comes from the outside, i.e. God's Word coming to you from the outside, that that is what we should be looking for. I don't know why that's so hard to get, but every I think of every single instance you can. of Just think about the book of Acts. The Word of God never comes from the inside. It's always delivered uh, to the two people from the outside. I, I don't know why they're ignorant of the pattern here. Well, uh, speak about the Ethiopian eunuch, for example. Well, right, he's right, reading he, it himself. Exactly. He's trying to figure it out. He can't. He even says, how, how can I understand this unless somebody, unless somebody explains it to me? And so Philip does it, and he gets it. And, right, his question isn't, isn't his question. The Ethiopian eunuch's question is, is he talking about himself or another? He's reading Isaiah 53 uh, about the suffering servant. Yeah, we're not suggesting that this was not a... An intelligent man. No. I mean, he reads it himself. He comprehends it himself. He, he, there's no footnote at the bottom of his scroll that's, uh, that answers his question. So he's looking, for, he's looking for an answer. But he needs a preacher. So the Lord, in his kindness, sends Philip to explain it, to answer the question. And, and, the, it, the, and there you go. And, and the he, lights come on. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. So much so that he jumps immediately to baptism. Right. And so your point here would be... He's not going along in his chariot. Apart from God's word, he's got a scroll of Isaiah, asking the Lord, "What am I supposed to be doing?" Yeah, did and, he, and 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 thinking that the Lord's going to talk to him in his heart. Right? Did he call upon the Lord and I'll show you great and mighty things in which you do not know and go and have a conversation with the Lord? Right? Did right. He, did he do this where the Lord speaks to his heart and tells him, "No, that's not about the writer. That's about that's about the Savior, my Son Jesus Christ." Did no, he uses a preacher. He uses the external word. Well, let's go back to something real quick. We see times where the Lord did not use a preacher, where he did use direct downloads, or di- did did use, we wouldn't call like it Like with J- Jeremiah. He directly reveals his word to Jeremiah. Or even going back to the uh, illustration that we already heard, I mean, he, he did the same to, to Paul. Right. Why do we see people who had that quote-unquote experience with the Lord and then walk away and say I want to have I want to have the same thing too 
And this must be the paradigm. And this is the pattern. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I want to see a burning bush. Right. I, I guess they don't, I, I would guess, uh, this is maybe right. I don't know. Uh, Jeremiah, he's just any old, he, he, he's just like Joe, your neighbor. And Paul, he's just like Joe, your neighbor. There's, and, and I'm going to go here to what I, th- I'm just going to venture a theory that when you collapse the difference between the called servants of God and the people whom they are to serve, it makes everybody seem like they're the same exact thing. And so um, there's no recognition that Jeremiah of the millions in Israel was raised up to be God's mouthpiece. No recognition that Moses of the hundreds of thousands of Israelites was raised up to be the one who received uh, God's word. It's as if every Israelite was getting direct downloads and as if everybody in Israel uh, in Jeremiah's day and age was also getting direct downloads. This is simply not the case. No, I mean, Judges makes that very clear, right? What everybody was doing was doing was doing what they thought was right in their own in eyes. In their own eyes, and there was just great wickedness throughout the, throughout the land. Aren't these pastors doing what's right in their own eyes, wouldn't you say, when they're standing up and making these subjective claims? Yes. They're, they're just doing what's right in their own eyes. Yes. Yes. And it's utter mayhem. Reminds me of a scene from Blazing Saddles. Really? <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry, sir. I can't fit him in today. It's utter mayhem down here. <laughs> but it is utter mayhem. And okay, and let's let's push this one one step further. This is a you know a lot of theologians, uh, historians will say correctly that Lutheranism arose in response to a pastoral crisis. And the pastoral crisis was the certainty of salvation. Is my salvation certain? And um, it wasn't under the Roman Catholic system because how many merits do I actually need to get to heaven? I, and, and what are my secret sins? I don't know, okay? Um, and the, the Lutherans could say, look, I can point to you to what the scriptures say that Christ's sacrifice for sin is once for all, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you just go down the line in the revealed word of God and say, Christ is solved. Now, almost immediately, as the Lutherans are making this defense of Scripture against the Roman Catholic a-scriptural system, another thing pops up, and it's the enthusiasts. And they're doing the same exact thing as the Roman Catholics are. And the Lutheran reaction is exactly the same. You cannot create this kind of direct download mayhem because all it's going to do is rob people of the God-given certainty of their salvation that God has revealed in the Scriptures. How do I know that the direct download I'm getting is the truth of God or from God at all right and how do I exactly and how do I know if if they cease am I out of God's favor right and the Lutheran says 
don't worry about that stuff. In fact, it's demonic, and it's going to get your head on the wrong way. Look to the clear word of God, where he says, Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Look to the scriptures that say, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Have you been baptized? Yes? Okay, and God wants to save you. Would you say that Hebrews clears up for us, at least to some degree, why you had these individuals in the Old Testament who did have these direct download experiences, when, especially in our liturgy, I mean, and this is just, I love how in the liturgy, I mean, all we're doing is singing Scripture or chanting Scripture. I mean, it is the most Scripture-filled service. Even your big box Bible church down the road is not... They can't match it. They can't. It is Scripture from from in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all the way to God bless you and keep you. you. Right, yes. (laughs) And so in the liturgy, uh, you know, after the reading of the Scriptures, it's like we remind ourselves of these things. When the pastor says, in many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Okay, so this is that... Uh, what what we've been talking about. The Lord would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak to the people. And this, of course, is uh, the first, I mean, this is the right out of the gate verse when it comes to Hebrews. But now, in these last days, so the writer of Hebrews is saying, we're living in the end times. This is the last days. It's not after the temple is rebuilt in Israel and the red heifer comes out of the barn and all this stuff. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So th- what this does is it shows the, the closure of the canon. And then in Acts 2, picking up on the pattern, as you spoke earlier, what do the Christians, what do they do? The first thing, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching what are the apostles teaching? Are they teaching direct downloads? Are they teaching uh, something they feel in their heart? Are they teaching any of this? No, they're teaching exactly what Christ told them. And they're using the Old Testament scriptures to do it, which is really interesting. Well, this is what, and the Lord, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, what's the first thing that he does? He, he, even before they acknowledge or recognize Get rather it, yeah. who, who he is did the christ have to suffer for these things and then taking them back through moses and through the prophets i mean it's only a seven mile walk from jerusalem to emmaus and wherever jesus picks these guys uh-huh. up let's, so say, to speak. let's say it's 140 minutes <laughs> you 20 know, minutes a mile yeah. that is some bible study right you know where he goes all the way through they still don't recognize him, even though they say that their hearts are burning within them as these connections are made to Christ. It's not until the breaking of bread that he recognizes them, and then he vanishes. But here's the beautiful thing. Does he truly vanish? Physically, yes, but he's there with them. Right. In his word. And then sacrament. And in the sacrament. Mm-hmm. And that is the pattern of apostolic proclamation. What they learn from Jesus in Luke 24 is exactly how they continue to do it. They start with Moses, and then they 
go through the writings and the prophets to make their claims uh, about Jesus. And that's what the Bereans search. They search according to Moses and the writings and the prophets. This is the paradigm of Christian preaching. It is based upon the written word of God. It doesn't go searching for extra revelation. There is none necessary. We saw that in in the Second Timothy passage, right, that the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation and they're profitable for all manner of things, teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And why do you want anything else? Every day there are Christians who wake up and they have their quiet time, another little indicator that God wants to speak to them individually and subjectively. They wake up every day, and they have pressing needs. I'm not, I'm not minimizing their, their thoughts or their feelings or their circumstances, but they want God to speak to them. What do you, what do you say to that person? I mean, this is, this is for years, this has been an indoctrination to them that this is how they have a relationship with God. I say to them, read the Psalms, read the Scriptures. That's, that's how God's going to talk to you. And, and don't go trying to tease out esoteric meanings of, of what you're reading. If the Bible is not fundamentally uh, at its core, um, if, if you open the scriptures and don't expect that what you're going to receive is Jesus for me, it's going to be a closed book. You can find all the esoteric meanings you want, but you're not going to get the message of the scriptures. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the explanation of all of the scriptures. John speaks of it, you know, for his own uh, gospel, but this is what the scriptures are doing. So basically what they're doing in their quiet time, basically even if they're reading the scriptures looking for these esoteric things, is they're closing the scriptures to themselves. Even though they've got an open Bible there, They've still closed the scriptures. Because they're not looking, right? Jesus says, Search the scriptures, or you do search the scriptures, because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they are these that testify about me. About me. This is the point. If you're looking for, your, for direction about what cancer treatment to take when you read the scriptures... You're not going to get an answer. And if you find one, the scriptures have become to you a closed book. But if you're looking for Jesus, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith, then it's an open book. So what I hear you saying is that the Lutheran distinctives, they've come along and they have concretely, with assurance and confidence, pointed us exactly and correctly where Jesus can be found. Correct. In his written and preached word and his sacrament. And the confidence and really the comfort that this grants, especially to those who have been looking for the subjective or, God forbid, the esoteric, going down that that rabbit hole. It's, it's, um, you know, I liken it to the... uh, the man that goes and sells all that he has for the pearl of pearl of great price. Right. This is what you should do uh, for just for the scriptures and and the sacraments. 
Lutherans are uptight. I mean, we are uptight people. We're uptight about doctrine, and everybody knows it. But that uptightness masks a great relaxation, actually, that I know that I have a crucified and risen Savior who has made me his through my baptism. What can... Okay, I'm going to get anxious about various things. I might get anxious about oil change taking too long, right? But, but I don't need God to inform me about how to deal with an oil change taking too long, much less do I need to, him to inform me about what cancer treatment to take. Why? Because on the last day, I will be raised up to everlasting life. And he is a good and gracious God who wants to take care of me, and, and I know this because he's given me his only son period. I can't imagine the anxiety of the American evangelical looking for directions for the next five minutes. This is uh, something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. That kind of anxiety? Right. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was an evangelical pastor, and again, I mean, I'd lived in this anxiety for, you know, the bulk of my life, trained by the best. And I had been reading for a number of years the Lutheran distinctives and exactly what we've been talking about, subjective versus objective, the fanaticism, the enthusiasm. And I actually started to make some changes within our non-denominational church. And these were not changes that, you know, I made overnight by myself. These were decisions and changes that we made based upon talking with the elders and looking at the scriptures and saying, look, we need to probably... We need to make some changes. We made those changes. And certain people were very upset with these changes. And I just remember how there was a, we had a steeple at our church. We, we actually bought a, we were able, we started in a school, but were able to buy a church building that had, a, that was never completed. And so we were able to buy it and complete it and it had a steeple on it. One day there was a bird turkey vulture or something that landed on the steeple. And um, there was a woman who said, based upon the changes that were made, that the Lord told her that those vultures only land on dead things. Wow. And so our church had become <laughs> dead. So the Lord as had revealed this. Yeah. Wow. Right. Isn't that a dangerous thing? Exactly. And think about think about uh, how this... this longing for subjectivism changes the worship even right you you actually remove from the presence of the people the only things that can give them faith which is solid hymnody right that proclaims the gospel and uh liturgy like you were just saying every word of it from the scriptures themselves that is gone uh, because all you're trying to do is stir up that subjectivity that's right and the music is a driving influence in this. And the people the people who are on the quote-unquote platform, you know, I mean, the way that they would sway back and forth like they're slow dancing at an eighth-grade dance. <laughs> they're looking up into the ceiling as if Jesus is sitting in the rafters. <laughs> All of this is done to drum up, and they don't even realize they're doing it, that this is what they've seen modeled, and... This is the way you have a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's your boyfriend. Right. So subjective truth versus objective truth. Our old 
Adam longs for the subjective. I mean, this is our sinful nature that, that longs for this. Right, because he can call truth whatever he wants to call truth. Right. Okay. Objective truth makes the old Adam sit in the back seat. Totally. And that's why it's such a, a struggle and why it has to be habituated over uh, many, many years. You, t- you started, you talked a little bit about the things that the Lord sort of takes away from us, right? One of the things that he constantly is taking away from us is our old Adam. He's trying to bash him down with the truth of his word constantly. Let's say a, a rabid American evangelical came into our church. Like we went and kidnapped him and we put him in the trunk and we brought him here on Sunday morning and got him out. Gave him a donut and some coffee, and you know we're nice to him. But we made that we forced them to sit in the pew. They would revolt at everything going on. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, the first thing they would say is it's Catholic. Correct. At our church, just so people are aware, uh, the liturgy is is what you might call high. But even if you took low liturgy, they would still say it's Catholic. Right. Right. Because the pastor's investments. There's and, candles. And, yep. There's a robe. Actually, there's there's pews. Uh, yeah, not movie chairs. So so there'd be that first revolt. And, and, and that's just a purely an aesthetic one. If he could get beyond that and start to focus on the, on the words, I mean, what I would ask for, this is, so if you're asking, I mean, if, if we're putting this out here, and evangelicals are listening to it, I'd say go to a Lutheran church. Go long enough that you can get over your catholophobia, number one, and then stick with it for 10 more weeks and listen hard to what is going on. That's the only way to break through this, I think. But if you are automatically putting your hands up and saying, I I won't even go in there, or I'll go in there and I'll get offended about the, you know, what I think is Catholic— they they don't have a chance, right? I remember uh, I went to lunch one time with a Lutheran pastor, and I, again, I was still uh, pastoring my evangelical church, my, and uh, we were at one of those restaurants uh, where you, uh, the, they put the paper on the uh, on the table for because it's such a mess. Oh, because you can write, so the kids can yeah, color on. Sure. And I, Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> some Italian joint. I went. I uh, I didn't have to preach at my church that Sunday, and I drove to uh, to his church, and uh, he actually pastored two parishes and uh, went to both of his services. We went to lunch afterwards, and I wrote down all the things that I was absolutely in love with with Lutheranism, and uh, you know the theology, the tradition. That you know, I mean, just. The church year, I mean, just everything uh, that I could think of, or at least at that time that I had been exposed to. And right in the middle, I wrote a box, and I, d- I put a question mark, and I wrote, the liturgy, man. What well, do I do with the liturgy? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I just don't mm-hmm. get it. Now, because I was pastoring a church, I couldn't go to— And absorb. Yeah, couldn't right, do that, right? right. So yeah. this was like the first time that I'd actually sat in— uh, you know, two services back to back, and it was uh, it was a um, I wouldn't say it was offensive, but I just I just I didn't get it. Didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know yeah. what to do with it. Mm-hmm. 
the great thing was is he was a guy who colloquized in too. I mean, he came from uh, the Presbyterian world to be a Lutheran pastor. But I remember him saying, you, you've got to stay with this and, uh, and learn what's going on. This is something so new to you and so unique. Uh, but don't, like you said, don't, don't just cast it aside. And I'm so glad you that did, I huh? did. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. But I've got to believe that it was my old Adam. It wasn't just a, a lack of experience. It really was... I mean, because they're singing hymns. This is church. I've been in church my whole life as a pastor. It's a, um, it, it, it wasn't foreign to me, but yet at the same time it was. Right. And I, I've got to believe that it was that old Adam in me saying, no, I want to be active instead of passive. Mm. I want to give, give my devotion to God, give my surrender to God, give my fill-in-the-blank to God because he requires it of me and I want to give it to him. I don't want to be passive and have him wash my feet. And I don't want to feel like my piety is being measured out or the liturgy measures out your piety. And for that, re- for that very reason, it's a very good thing. It teaches, you want to say something to God when you're in church. The liturgy teaches you what to say to God. Just a, a second thing I would ask or, uh, an evangelical listener, and we've got a guy like this right now at, at St. John's, Every time he comes to church, he says, why? I notice this, why? And you got to ask those questions. If you don't ask the question, it's never going to make sense. But if you you ask the question and don't get offended by the fact that you need to ask the question or get offended at the thing because you need to ask of the thing why, you're going to learn a great deal, I would say. And that's that's a very important thing to do. So summing it up, what we have talked about here is there, there clearly is a subjective path within Christianity. Ultimately, it's as dangerous. It might seem like it's innocuous, but it's not. But as we've heard, it's, it's ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Our argument is the objective is what we're going after, and the objective that the Lord gives us is his word. It is the service of the sacrament. It is baptism. It is confession and absolution. And it's the liturgy. The very words of the liturgy, yes. Because it's not that Luther made this up or we made it up. It's just that it's the word. It's the words of God. Set to music that you learn to sing day in and day out. And that's a wonderful thing. Amen. You know, there's a... There are times when I don't know why. I mean, you know, your alarm clock goes off and it's playing some hip song from back in the 80s. And it's just a tune that stays in your head all day long. You know, I was never a fan of Debbie Gibson. <laughs> and Huey after, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want a new drug. <laughs> you know, so uh, it is amazing to me how, you know, I'm working in my yard and I'm singing the Sanctus. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're singing the songs of the liturgy throughout your day as opposed to something that you just heard on the radio. And so what is God doing? He's turning you into your own external preacher. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Amen. Well, we hope that this has been helpful as we have taken a look at both the subjective and the objective truth that's coming at us and bubbling up within 
hoping that you will stay away from that which bubbles up within you or that preacher of yours that you like to listen to who talks about getting direct downloads and visit a local LCMS church where you can hear that Jesus Christ has won your forgiveness and grants it to you to give you comfort and peace. So long. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org.